0: Hey, welcome all again to Devarim and pre 5782. We have a lot of dedications today and uh, our learning, we really have to really work on that. We got to really learn, because look at all these people that are counting on our learning. So let me just um, start with um, Goldie Bloom's brother, who is just Nifter Tzvi. We're doing this, leiloy Nishmas Chaim Tzvi Ben Yitzchak Isaac. And then we are dedicating this year, but um, through Bathsheva Jacobs, is dedicating Eloy Nishmas her Zayda, Shlomo ben Pinchas, a halko survivor who was to raise a second beautiful Jewish family after the Shoah. His Yarzit is the seventh of Av. Esther Kaufman, that is my cousin, Eloy Nishmas, her father, Aaron Moshe ben Yakusil Yehuda, his Yartzeit is the fifth of Av. Fried for her grandchildren to find their Zivuge Hagod. Bela Foyerstein, Zuchas of Freida Bas Bela. Shana Ishal, Eloi Nishmas, her father, Herschel, Ben Shalom, Aviva Hoch, for, for, Shlema, for Shlomo, uh, Shlomo Shmuel, Shner Zalman, Ben Yocheved, Chava, for an easy delivery and healthy birth, for Malkabas Bela, Jane Sideman, for a blessing of Zerach, ha- ha- for all in need, Franz Ga- Fran Gans, in honor of Esther in the Thursday Parsha Sheer. Tehila Rabhan from my Miami group, L'Iloi Nishmas, her dear friend Chana Bas Noach, her shloshem is tonight. Whoa. Sorry to hear. Rifki young Rice for four Yeah, your father, Rosh Fodashav. Yeah, that was last week, but we'll, we can mention it for sure. Yaakov Moshe ben Ravt Michal Zalman, my mother-in-law's father. Um, on behalf of all, okay, Rifki young for four for Gadol Yehuda ben Reisel, who's recovering from surgery, on behalf of all Esther's Tanya Hammer is dedicating this year in honor of Esther and the secret weapons daughter, I yell it, on her marriage, Shavi Zucker next week. Yes, Amain. Okay, here we go. Are we ready? A lot of people are counting on us, guys. Don't, you gotta vote? we gotta really work this hard. Okay, so here we go. Last week, we addressed the concept of avelus or mourning the big But right, the dashed expectations. We spoke about aspirations versus expectations, and on they put up that little burst of inspiration, where I kind of consolidated the main idea of last week's share into a nine-minute little video. So let's go to the next step. Okay, so our expectations have been burst. We are now facing a reality that's not what we hoped for. Okay, the normal approaches avail us. There's a certain mourning involved, like. My dreams, my hopes—also, you know, any sort of loss, any sort of loss of that which really means the most to us, which we think that even defines us, whether it be a person or a, or or a, you know, or or how we hope their life would unfold, or you know, just the law, or not even maybe the loss of someone, but the lack of having, say, let's say we have shiduchim, like a spouse or children. So what do we do now? So the normal go-to advice is, or the person, a normal go-to sort of place in a person's head is, okay, I have to work on my amuna. I have to work on my amuna that, you know, come to terms with this situation. All right, so now, what does that even mean? Let's sort it out. If I ask you, what does it mean to work on your Amuna? When somebody tells you, I just heard somebody tell me the other day, I need to work on my Amuna because it's such a great loss. I lost a child. What does that mean? Do you think in most people's heads, what do they think they need to do? How do they, what do they think they need to do when they say I have to work on my Amuna? What does that mean? What do they have to do? So they have to find trust that that, so like, for a that or, it was all good. Okay, that's working at Amuna could be finding trust. That's intellectual or emotional. Both, yeah. Okay, what well, we're gonna sort it out. It's both. Okay, what else? What does it mean to work on my Amuna? Anything no, I'm else? Not in huh? No, I'm not in so to give up, to let go. But often when people say I have to work on my Amuna, okay, they are they are addressing a very you know, definite emotional expectation they're putting on themselves. What are the emotions they are putting up, expecting themselves or demanding of themselves to but work towards? There's not, there's no, what emotions? Emotions. Emotions. What are emotions? Pain. No, I'm working on Amuna means what? Not, pain, pain. Means what? not being angry. <laughs> right. Not being right. angry. Right. What, right. being right. angry. Right. what right. else? Right. Being right. loving. Right. Not being to be angry angry not being <laughs> resentful not being jealous not being <laughs> sad. sad not being. when a little, people say i want to work on my muna they often expect themselves put upon themselves a demand that they have no afflictive states of mind nothing that really disturbs them they're calm they achieve calm they achieve menuchas hanefesh. now ideally of course of course, of course, of course. But let's go through what, how Judaism I, honestly expects people to deal with the incomprehensible losses and tragedies and sufferings that we have endured individually and as a nation. Let's just see what, I'm, what the Torah demands. Okay, what a Jew is supposed to aspire to. Obviously there's many, many levels. Okay. Let's not put too much upon ourselves because once a person went through a loss and now they're piling on themselves. And I also should feel good and not be upset. And I also, if I ever question or have doubt or get angry, that means I didn't work on munas. And then it's like a big, huge burden. So let's see what we really need to do. Okay. All right. So first of all, right in our Parsha, which of course always dovetails with yana idioma, we have this a direct um, addressing of this issue of when a person doesn't have enough emuna. Okay, so what happens is Moshe starts. are re- going back into Varm to the whole long story of their, you know, their journey from Egypt till this point where he. Don't forget, Varm is really it's a long safer, but it's at the very, very end of the forty years, right before Moshe dies. Long speeches, but they happen like in you know very short time. Okay. So Moshe, I'm not going to read the whole thing with you. He goes, look at A, starts going through the entire story of the Miraglo, All right. And he says that, you know, they brought home, the Miraglo went and they brought home the fruit of the land. Okay. And they showed it to us. And you remember about the fruit of the land. It was enormous, right? And they said, oh, it's a very good land. That's, only, that's the only thing Moshe says. He doesn't, you know, say how the leaders, other than Kalivin Yeshua, then went ahead and said, But despite the fact that this food is enormous, I want to, we want to tell you what else is enormous, giants, enormous people and enormous cities, it is overwhelming, and it's too much for us, and we're totally um, um, traumatized, and we can't do this. So then Moshe basically just jumps to the end, and he says, and then you refuse to go up to the land, okay, and you rebelled against what Hashem said. OK, and you went and you sulked and cried. You were miserable. Oh, it didn't take out the give up. Uh, in your tents and you turned it around. You said, Hashem doesn't love us, Hashem hates us. He brought us out of Egypt to wipe us out. Uh, and then you asked, what kind of place are we going to? OK, and you say our brothers have taken our hearts, not the good translation, but they've like really deflated us. They've terror traumatized us and um, they have these, you know, we're overwhelmed by, the, you know, the, it's too big for us. And Hashem says, Moshe says. So, what did I respond to you guys? How did I respond? But Omar Alechem, I said to you, "Lo tarutun mayhem. Don't be afraid. Don't. What are you being so, um, you know, terrified by? Hashem, hello Hashem, your God who went before you, took you out of Mitzrayim. He okay. He's going to take you there. And you saw in the desert that Hashem carried you like a person carries their child on their, like a man carries his child on his son on his shoulders he took you the whole way but look at what's in bold now but and in this thing you didn't have emuna. so first of all what thing before we get to what is emuna, what is most referring to but devar in this you didn't have muna. he told them the whole story what did he not have muna? and rashi says simple simple but the var you didn't have emuna that in Hashem's promise to get you to Eretz Yishol, simply to bring you into the land safely. No, but that's what Moshe said. No, 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 no. Moshe said it. Rashi says, "But Let's go with Rashi. What is the one specific thing Moshe is referring to? This thing you didn't have emuna that Hashem told you he's going to get you there safely, and you didn't have emuna. Okay. So now, Let's go deeper. Okay, what does it mean they didn't have a Muna? What does it mean? So we have to do a lot of work. We got to always do, and Mo Shapiro does this, or Rav Sadik always says, what does the word mean? Go to the root. What is the definition of the root? Okay, where is the first time the root is found? Like, what, what is the, what, what, you know, this is a very important concept to define. So, um, so there is a class on this, by the way. If you have it in your, if you got this on your phone or in your email, this is a link. You could go listen to that for more additional, you know, development of this topic. But what is Amuna? Moshe said you didn't have Amuna that Hashem is going to get you in territory show. So let's first of all make sure we know what Amuna is not. This is never should be mixed up with Amuna. So one well, number one, Amuna is not faith that Hashem exists. There's no such thing. Okay, we have das, we have knowledge, we have as much proof as a human being can have, is the event of Harsinai, that Hashem exists. So we never, ever use emuna in context so that there is a God or that Hashem exists. Never, okay? God for Hashem would never allow the, 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 sim, the most important concept that Hashem exists to be in the realm of emuna, trust or faith. It's got to be hard, cold fact. And that's why I Baruch Hu did the whole Har Sinai, you know, extravaganza so that we never have to rely on faith or trust, whatever we're going to define it, to know that Hashem exists. So that's off the table. Not now, Hamunah does not mean wishful thinking that everything's going to be fine the way I want it. It's all going to have a moon. It's all going to be good. No, never, ever, ever have a moon. It's all going to work out for you in the, this way, that way. No, no such thing. We don't know what it's going to be. Okay. Number two, emuna does not mean have emunah, so which means feels like, you know, so that everything is good, have no anguish. Have no anguish. If you have anguish, you have no muna. False, okay. Okay, um, Emuna does not mean complete emotional calm despite sorrow. So what does emuna mean? Well, let's work, look at the word. First, Yishayahu, okay, Yishayahu 22, 30, 23. This is talking about a. Uh, there's a newspaper based on this talking about taking a, 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 a stake and digging it into land that you can that is solid and 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 secure and steadfast so that the tent or whatever you're you're um, attaching to it that supporting it is going to you know be, be uh, steady. Takativ yated bimakom neeman yated neeman right. You are going to put a stake. Okay. In a reliable place. Means reliable, steadfast, secure, trustworthy. Okay, you can rely on it. All right. Um talking about Avraham. Umatsasa. Eslavavo neman lefenecha. you found his heart, which you know in Tanakh does not mean heart. It means a combination of what we call the mind and the heart, the intellect and the uh, emotions which are dictated by the intellect and also gut emotions that sort of know truths intuitively. The combination of how we know things is called the lev. The matzasa levavo neman lefenecha. you found Avraham's whole psyche, mindset, passions devotion trustworthy you could trust him he was steadfast he was loyal okay what was the most steadfast and loyal uh proof what was the biggest greatest proof of abraham's loyalness and steadfastness and trustworthiness in god's eyes yeah and remember what we always say about the akeda we're going to repeat it again even though you've all heard it true it is a great nesayim to be asked to sacrifice your son True, everybody on earth in those days thought it was normal to sacrifice their children. So it wasn't exactly like shocking. But what is more than that is what Hashem was really asking Avram to do, right? And this goes into, don't look, you know, don't get attached to your tafkin. Hashem basically said to Avraham, what if I said to you, Avraham, that your whole life's work, your identity, which is totally you know, today uh, associated with all the people you've inspired and changed, this, this nation you're building through your child, this whole ideology that is gonna change the world forever. What if I said to you, thanks, but no thanks. I don't really want it. I don't need it. You did a good job, but go up there, sabotage the whole thing, come down from the mountain. Everybody's gonna say, you're a fraud. Go back to Avodah Zahra. The world will go back to how it was. Before you did all your work, you'll have no nation. What if I said, you did? you know what? thanks but no thanks are you are you okay with that and what is a vram answer yeah Yeah, whatever i'm not attached to it gets up in the morning with love ava mikhail kelis Ashur and says okay uh, whatever you want here i'm going with enthusiasm and love The the big arcade it seems for amishal forever is the ability the flexibility to to understand that we are trustworthy, nemon. We, you can rely on us. Whatever you say is our role right now, we take it, okay? We don't now get into a conflict of interest, a power struggle with you. Oh, no, 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 I have my pocket for you. Don't take it away from me. We don't get into a power struggle. We don't resist and say, no, 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 I had, this is my role that I insist on playing. We are trustworthy. Whatever role you give us, that's the one we play. That is a definition of amuna, Neaman, trustworthy, steadfast, reliable. That is moshev, neman who, as we're gonna say. We're gonna say avroham, that's who we are. Those are that is amuna. Does so it make sense? Okay. So we are in uh, the end of the amuna is our steadfast commitment to live within the reality. Now, that Hashem is good and just and we are being led forward by Hashem himself. When Amosha said to the people, the devar hazeh, you didn't have a moon in this thing, he's saying, you didn't have the confidence, the trust, the stead you know, you didn't have the, the sense of con- commitment that it's okay, if Hashem is gonna lead you, you can re- relax, okay? You just didn't have the real, what Avraham had, what Moshe had, you weren't, we weren't there yet, just this steadfast re- understanding that we are, Hashem is reliable and we can rely on hashem period okay so moon is not emotion the you know, emotional like oh i'm so calm and i love hashem so much it is not not having anguish and pain as we're going to see in a minute with Eov. it is not um not, it, never being confused or even overwhelmed with sorrow and grief it is nothing like that it is simply trust confidence we'll call it because i don't want to say trust trust means like blind faith it is confidence that Akkadashparu will lead us down the path. And we don't need to live in the state of, as we said, um, worry and fear um, that is built upon the, um, our expectations. And we don't have to live with that terrible trauma that happens when our expectations suddenly vanish or are, you know, no longer possible to accomplish. And um, we don't have to live with that. You don't have to do that, okay? So, amunu takes that whole burden off you. All right. Now, just an important point here, here: the MS, the truth that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is reliable. Okay, that's a fact. That's the intellectual part. We know it from our history. Okay, we know it from. I mean, we're doing. We're going. We're going on three and three thousand four hundred years. We know. The Jewish people are, you know, are going to survive and we know the Torah is going to survive and we know our mitzvahs and our lifestyle and our ideas are going to survive and we know they will influence the world it's like these are facts established so and but these facts need amuna confidence to exist, you can have facts but if we don't have the confidence and the steadfast trust in them. we will forget them. So the real hard work is not to invent the truths. The truths have been established for us. Don't worry about the truths. They're there. The real hard work is for us to stay connected, confident, and, 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 and with a sense of security. And yes, calm, that we're in good hands. Okay? That doesn't mean we don't have periods of terrible emotional distress. But overriding it all, calm, we are in good hands like my grandfather used to say back in the day the greyhound bus you know people used to travel he used to there was a sign on the side of the bus sit back and leave the driving to us <laughs> now it doesn't mean you don't do a stylist, of course you do but you don't get attached to any particular expectation or or whatever does this make sense okay now let's go into eu
1: there's another
0: link I put you from the time, from uh, the, this, my talk in, in South Africa, okay? We're, so you can hear more about EO, very appropriate, appropriate for, you, for Tisha B'Av. Um, but basically, with, this is the message we're gonna focus on right now, okay? The same Hashem who gives us our life and the life of our loved ones and you know all the things we invest our emotions into, also equipped us with the feelings that cause us to suffer. Who gave us feelings of loss and pain and grief and confusion? Hashem. He gave, us the, he gave us the gifts, and he gave us the capacity to really suffer when those gifts are taken away. Even, of course, Eretz Yisrael, the base of Mikdash, okay? Um, expressing all the confusion, sadness, and pain that comes with the loss, those emotions Hashem built into us designed in us, okay, that does not constitute a lack of emuna. Let's go further. And I want you to read my grandfather's own words from Sefer Eob, okay? It's a little not so clear here for, so I'm gonna read it from the Sefer here. Rav Schwab on Eov a must read, and it's not depressing at all, it's incredible. Okay, here we go, let's read it. All right. At this point in the study of Sefer Eov. Okay, okay. Um, well, let's go a little higher. At this point, Eov has given up all hope that, understa- that, his, uh, that such understanding that he's asking for why he's suffering will ever happen. Therefore, he tells his friends that there's no further purpose and they're making any effort to convince him otherwise because he has totally rejected all of their arguments. All he wants now is for God to stretch out his hand to him and take his neshama soul back to him and, allows to, uh, to him and allow his miserable, miserably stricken body to disintegrate in the grave. With this note of utmost despair, Yeov concludes his answer to his friend Eliphaz. He has asked him and the other friends to stop repeating the same old arguments and allow him to die in peace. Okay? By the way, do you know what their arguments were? You'll hear that if you listen to the class. Their arguments were, since Hashem is so good and so true and so fair, and he's causing you to suffer, clearly you must have sinned. Do it will all go away. And Yeov said, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, that's a really simple equation. Two plus two is four. Everybody's great, makes sense. And you know what else it is? It makes God really, really easy to understand and manipulate. I do tshuva, you make me better. Easy peasy, everything gets solved. The whole equation is balanced. But that's problem. one technical problem. I'm innocent. Now, they did not have the tools to deal with that. What if you're innocent and Hashem is making you suffer? And Hashem, in the end, chastises the friends and my grandfather used to say friends like this we don't need enemies um and says how dare you blame eo in order to explain me you think you need to explain god so that you feel good that you have a comprehensible god like oh two plus two is four he said you did two he. so because in your need to explain me so that you feel like it all makes sense to you you start blaming eo for having being a sinner and he was very angry and he told Eo that you know they Anyway, that's in the other speech Okay. At this point in the safe, a study of Safer Eov, it is important that we understand why the Navi who wrote this Safer, see the intro about who wrote the Safer, mostly Moshe records, that's the main opinion, uh, records Eov's anguished and pessimistic speeches in such great detail, with much of it utilizing very difficult and poetic language to express his deep sadness. Is the study of these anguished speeches not depressing? Contrary to the happiness which Torah learning should inspire. Tehillim 99 tells us, The laws of Hashem are upright. They make the heart rejoice. Is the study of Sefer have not in conflict with the uplifting aspect of Torah? The answer to this question is that the study of Yuv, from the perspective that it is an integral part of Torah, is not at all depressing. On the contrary, it can be very uplifting. Most people go through sadness and suffering in the course of a lifetime. Certainly as a nation, the Jewish people has national days and weeks of mourning commemorating great tragedies in its history, which are punctuated by fast days, tanios. By incorporating the details of Eo's feelings of deep sadness and anguish into the ksuvim, part of the Torah, a sefer Eov, which was written with Ruach HaKodesh divine inspiration, a have shown that such feelings are legitimized by Torah and need not be repressed. In fact, one can even say that HaKadosh Barucho appreciates these thoughts, since he planted the seeds for the emotion of sadness in the human psyche. One can take comfort in the fact that the Torah recognizes the human need of expressing sad and depressing thoughts at the appropriate time. Therefore, if a person reads the thoughts that Yuv expressed as they were formulated by the Ruach Kodesh of its author, he will not become depressed by them. Rather, it will serve to lift his spirits. For this reason, say for Yuv is recommended reading for an oval during the morning period. Okay. Eov, let's be more granular. Eov had outbursts. He denied Olam Haba. He denied Scharva Ones. He denied Chias HaMesim. He denied everything. He said, I want to die. I curse the day I was born. He denied Pratis. It's all in a Sefer written by Chazal that you get a mitzvah to learn. Mitzvah is Talmud Torah. Therefore, again, Eov does not qualify as someone who had no Emunah. You've qualified as a person of an absolute amunah. He kept saying, I know it's just. I just want to explain. I want an explanation. And that Hashem didn't give him. He said, I know it's just. And I know Akadosh Baruch Hu is doing the right thing. But I just want to explain myself. Okay. And he went. But in this process, I, I, want, I want an explanation. I want Hashem to explain what the benefit of my suffering is. He didn't get that. But in the process of sorting out all his thoughts, he did, he had all these outbursts of everything that we call kfira. And you're supposed to learn it. Because you, as my grandfather explains, Amuna doesn't mean that you don't have all of these natural emotions and confusion that Hashem himself implanted in us. If we didn't have these feelings, we would never suffer for anyone else's pain. We would never feel another person's pain. We would be callous, not just to ourselves. We also wouldn't feel the joy. Jump forward to another page here from my grandfather. A little actually 189, we'll go back a little bit. Here's something else to even bolster this point further. Okay. At the, let's start at the end, the second paragraph. At the end of Sefer Eov, at the end of the Sefer, chapter 42, Baruch Hu strongly rebukes Eliphaz, okay, and the others for their very harsh language, which they used against Eov. To Baruch Hu still refers as Avdi Eov, my servant Eov just as he had done at the very beginning before all the suffering and all the outbursts. Okay? Uh, thus the Kodesh Baruch himself testifies that there, that, that EO is in fact absolutely innocent. Our Chachamim tell us that Eob's the rhetorical questions and statements, even those bordering on blasphemy, were never held against him. Because here is a statement from Baba Basra, Ein adam nitpas beshas Saro. A person is not held accountable for what he says in the time of his sorrow, And none of this constitutes a lack of a muna, and you don't have to work on your muna not to have feelings and not to be upset, okay? As we said earlier, Iov's anguish can not so, came not so much from his physical pain, which was extremely acute to be sure, but rather because he does not know why he's being punished by Kadosh Baruch whom he loves so deeply. As a lover of a Hu, he feels that at least he is entitled to know why he is suffering. Why is one whom he loves so much punishing him? Of course, his friends do not see it this way. They do not understand Eev's anguish over this at all because they're convinced that Eev is a sinner. They're just two excerpts from the book, Kadai to, to get the book and get a chabrusa to learn it. In any case, I think it becomes clear, okay, that emuna isn't isn't an unreasonable, having one isn't some sort of unreasonable burden that we need to put upon ourselves to be unnatural and, and like almost non-human. Muna means that with all that and the end, okay? A person with all of these questions and eventually a person is meant to come to a level of acceptance, okay? Like Yuv does um, and to understand that we're in good hands and we'll, we're able to play the role that we have, even if we're not playing the role we wish we would have had. Okay. And we're able to embrace, you know, what we have and our co and our whole story and do something good with it and make meaning out of it and, uh, and, and help other people with it. That is what's meant to be. Okay. And in the end, Elihu comes the last friend, Elihu comes, and Elihu is Billam before he goes to the dark side, okay, and Elihu is the only one who speaks the truth, and Elihu says to you at the very end, okay, it's been 40 chapters, right, of back and forth and back and forth, you're demanding an answer, you're putting God on trial, all these type of things, Elihu says that I want to go to a court case, I'm going to say my side, you say your side. enough, now it's enough. You haven't gotten the answer to your one question just why is this happening to me enough? You have to understand, Elijo you know, tells it. The reason you're so deeply disturbed, confused and and you, you can't accept it and you're going out of your mind from it, okay, why? Think about it as says because really the natural state for most people is that we are we have happiness. We have blessings. We don't even remember. We don't even think about them. Does anybody now think about every single part of the body that's not hurting them? And the nine million diseases that they don't have? And all the million things that could go wrong that aren't going wrong. And we're just sitting here, like not even conscious of it. And Liu says, you know, because think about it, in everybody's life, there is so much joy and there's so much blessing that seems so unnatural that there should be suffering because it's not the natural state, because it's a, it's an occasional thing, because it's an unexpected thing, because it episodes and patches of our life are defined maybe by that, but not our whole life. That's why it's so difficult to accept because really Akhenosh Baruchel created us into a world where there's so much beauty and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And he tells a El- Ayurveda, El- 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 now you gotta stop. Enough is enough. There's a point where it's enough. And. Um, and uh, Elihu is, really does speak the truth. He doesn't blame Eov. E- he understands that Eov is innocent. And, um, and then the safer continues, so the Kodosh giving Eov a kind of, after all this, a kind of behind the scenes glimpse into, I would say, advanced physics, how the whole world runs, energy and matter. The real, like the you know, the whole, uh, the, the muscle at the end of the view of the behemoth and the Leviathan is really energy and matter. gives him a whole view of Hashem's, a, you know design of the universe on a small scale and a large scale and when he sees that he sees all the hashgacha from the tiniest to the largest level he says okay I have no idea why I had to suffer but I know I'm in good hands and everything's calculated and everything has a place and I'm okay and then he says and i it was worth going through my suffering to understand this which everybody will understand this when that mechitza goes transparent now with this so far so good Okay, with this, let's go into Echa. I linked here a, um, a great podcast, okay, by Dr. Yael Ziegler, you probably know who she is, right? She wrote a book on Echa. Now, there is an amazing podcast called Sfarim Chatter, okay? Basically, um, the host interviews authors of all sorts of sfarim, like it's really, really interesting, so many interesting ones. So this is one of the many, 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 many podcasts on that series. Now she pointed out something eye-opening um, and so I went in to say for Eicha to kind of sort it out and uh, she she points out that the way Eicha is constructed is almost like three circles, one inside the other. You know chiastic structure? You've all heard about that? Okay, basically um, it's a pattern that, you know, like you view it like A, B, C, B, A. So like you know, you're, you're, there's a pattern that goes, begins, continues, goes to a center point, and then goes backwards, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to explain the chiastic structure, look it up, okay, so basically, Eicha is built like that, and it's very, uh, very insightful, because it really helps us understand emuna. I mean, talking about emuna, we talked about Avraham and Ekeida. we talked about eo and we're talking about Yirmiyahu, I mean, these are our models for what's considered emuna. now, Yirmiyahu had emuna, and yet the whole, Echa, certainly the middle section, is just a heartbreaking, like, 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 also, like, a, just like a heartbreaking, um, you know, monologue, so, you know, a, a speech, a, a, as a venting of the enormous misery and suffering that he's enduring. Okay. But here's how the safer goes and think about our, you, our model that we always work with, the fetus in the womb, the reality, the great reality that we're part of the mechitza that doesn't let us fully see it, then our direct experience, even the dark times, which we're going to focus on inside the womb, so to speak, until the confines of this world before we see the big picture, and then the person, the individual inside of that, okay? So the first parak of Eicha, just so you know, take, you could, when you, you know, go into echa Motzei Shabbos, you could take this with you and just kind of, you, it really, Gives you structure for how to know what you're reading. So the first paragraph is kind of a statement of what happened. It's an objective description of the, of the destruction. Okay. It's like, this is what's going on. The city is like this, the people are like that. He's like describing it. It's objective. It's more third person. He's giving you a vision of you, a glimpse of what it looks like. And then after he describes the destruction of the city and all of that, he then this is again from a kind of zoomed-out objective point of view says, I demand we demand justice, take revenge on the enemies, look what they did to us. Yes, it's true. I accept responsibility for that. We sinned, but they went far overboard of Kodashbaru. He's looking at it historically. Hashem, you will you, have you've you obviously tightened the screws on omnisol and we have suffered, but you under, but they also, you know, they should not get a uh, a free pass. They deserve to be punished in the end. The justice will be balanced. So it's kind of like accepting Jewish history, you know, what we've been through, not just at this Forbin, but the whole long story and understanding that the scales will be balanced. So he's like, it's really a sense of there's a sechel to this. There's a plan to this. Hashem's Hashkacha is here. It will all get balanced in the end. That's like the outer rim. rim okay. Then he goes inside to Perak 2, inside our real Honest life existence in this, uh, in this in this realm in this dimension where we don't see the big picture and the whole unfolding of everything and how the, in the end everything will fall into place like a big puzzle. No, now we're just in the moment. Okay, here is a painful description of the loss, particularly the big shocking, like sits transfer. You know, a shift between who we were as a nation you know, with our status and our identities, am Hashem, with all our kavod. Um, it's a loss of our role among the nations because of our neglect of our special closeness, Hashem. Hashem is described as turning against his own beloved people, his land, his temple, his service, and his city, okay? We are calling out to Hashem, remember who you are punishing. It is Amishol. Look what you're doing to your own people. Look what, how you've turned against every element of your own people, That right? And beseeching the people of Am Yisrael to turn back to Kadesh Baruch because Hashem is doing what he said he would. So, the second paragraph is really describing the actual situation on the ground, particularly the shock of seeing Am Yisrael so deflated. Okay. But it is also saying, Kadesh Baruch, that you're doing this to us. This is a very personal situation going on here. You're really showing us that, you know. know we've got to earn we've got to re-earn what we what you gave us for free and um and uh he 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 leaves us in Parak two with the concept of that we have a relationship with the kadash and it's in our hands to you know to to make it right okay then Parak three Okay, so the one is like the big global picture of what happened and just historically what's going to be. Then it's like our relationship with Hashem, and then in Parak three, which is divided up into a few sections, he goes ani hagever. This is where he to- he expresses the individual misery of every single person. Okay, it is the one to twenty one is an honest, raw expression of the brokenness of the individual. The tone is pure grief at the horrors of what one has had to endure. There's no lack of amunah here, okay? Number two, the second section 22 to 41 is the hope, trust, and acceptance and appreciation for the unending love and mercy and bond with Hashem. Man here knows it is time to turn back to Hashem. Now this piece, part two, is the crux of the chiastic structure. So it goes from the big picture, our Aral- relationship with Hashem and how it goes bad and how this terrible that is my personal suffering then the crux the nucleus my hope my trust that everything Hashem will accept us again this will pass we'll do tshuva that's me then it starts going the other way then we start talking about um what was what was right before this which is the brokenness the As we said, the the desperate sense that Hashem is not responding, the humiliation, the misery. Then we go back to, in the last one, how we turn confidently to Hashem who knows and hears all our prayers. We ask for justice and vindication against our enemies. That's like what we started with. And then chapters four and five, keep going back the other way. Four is... Yirmiyahu returns to describing the misery the horrors, particular starvation that turned an elegant people, described as fine gold and precious gems into a desperate, lowly, cruel people uh, compared to broken earthenware vessels. He blames the corruption of the religious leadership and their role in the tragedy. He ends with hope, our suffering will be expiated, our enemies will pay for what they have done. And then he goes all the way back to chapter like chapter one. Here Yirmiyahu reviews all the ramifications of Hashem's justice. The facts are again recalled in third person. And an objective description of the situation, he ends with a simple request, we have suffered enough, it is time to take us back and now balance all the scales, so what we're seeing here is (laughs) there's right, we have, we have as Amisol, First, as Yirmiyahu does, zoom out. In the big picture, Amisol has been through a lot at the hands of all sorts of enemies, okay, but it's all part of a plan, Hashem kind of told us this could happen. Um, It reminds us who we are. It has a purpose. You know, we don't like to think about it this way. It's not certainly not an emotionally satisfying thought, but, you know, even the facts of the Holocaust, what do they teach? You can destroy 6 million of us. You can recruit every single bit of all of your resources and put it to one cause only, which is destroying the Jews. And you won't succeed. And so every single one of those six million who went to a gas chamber or God knows what they they endured, okay, um, that person is one of those that so you can do whatever you want to us on the largest scale. You're not going to break us. You're not going to destroy us. And each single person was part of that message. So when we look at the big picture of history, we understand that in the end, the message of Amishal is indestructible. The message that Hashem will only operate through Amishol, the great truths will only come to the world through Amishol in the end. These, this is, this has been established. This is the this is how it is. Then you go into our personal self-contemplation as a nation individually. You know, I'm not like we talked about last week. I'm not, our nation isn't what it should be. We were like fine gold and precious gems, and now we're like broken earthenware. In other words, no, things, things shouldn't be like this. We should have a much, we should, we should be seen, know ourselves and the world should know us as a whole different sort of people, people of integrity, intelligence, creativity, of forward thinking and uh, people that, that improves the world constantly. You know, That's who we should be. What's going on? Why aren't we that people? Okay, And we we think about that. And then we go into the self. What am I? Where am I? I'm broken. I've endured too much, okay? And then what happens when you get to that place? But that's where you, he turns it around, right there in the middle of Peret right in the middle. But this too will pass. Our sins will be expiated. Our mistakes, we will, we will cleanse ourselves from our mistakes. We'll learn from our mistakes. We'll break through. We'll take the next step forward. Hashem will smile on us again. Our people will, and then you can start building backwards. So when we get to that lowest point, it's Yerida, Letzorah, Chaliyah, then we shift it. You can get to the lowest point. That's the whole thing with Eov, to the lowest. And then at that point, you say, enough. Now, where do I go? There's only one way to go, up. And to know that we can find the breakthrough. All right. And that's really, I, I, I think... Our message to our friends that are suffering is not break... Well, we don't go, okay, time to break through and stop suffering. (laughs) Of course not. That's in the class of what not to say when your friends are suffering. But what we can say is you're right. It makes no sense. You are right to be furious and and, and confused and depressed and horrified and bewildered and all of those things. Okay. And and yet at the same time, you know that... um, above it all surrounding it all is god's mind and god's plan and god's love and that will really that's that that envelops us and that surrounds us and we have to make put the two together we gotta integrate the two by the way la lahavdil, lahavdil the reason i believe that remember we used to have a chat leonard cohen was so incredibly popular in the world and had such a huge impact um, is because this is really what he struggled with. He was an artist, he was a sensitive person and the suffering of the world was unbearable to him. He was very loyal to Amishra, was there you know, during the wars singing and everything. But um, but, uh, but then he his music, if you listen to the last album, Hineni, and um, even some of the earlier renditions of the Halla because he changed the t- lyrics a million times, but the earlier ones, he is saying, and that's why everybody resonates with people so much. He's saying, in that despite the brokenness, despite the darkness, I know that it's part of something bigger. And I just say he You know, here I am. That's what Avram said. I'm here for whatever. And um, and that message is a message for for the whole, not just for us, it's for the whole world. Our safer. And our safer Eicha really establishes that message. And it's, and the fact that Amishal absorbed this message is why we're here. And we're the ninth happiest nation on earth, Israel, by the way, with all of this stuff. Okay. And uh, probably the happiest, but just depends how they measure happiness. But, um, uh, but, um, But that's the secret. Is a secret of omnisol survival that we're able to have normal emotions. We're not asked to suppress them. We're also able to somehow blend them with this overarching trust, confidence, steadfastness that will, you know, one day we'll understand. We will find the strength. We will break through. We will make the most of our role that we are playing. Even though we don't get to choose what it is, and we will never ever be identified as a people, as an individual, as a nation, okay, who can't get past their disappointments and their and their low points. No, that's not sure No, no, no. We not only do we bounce back, we have a special bracha that we bounce back so fast. The bracha is we say every single morning, Hanosein like. Okay, we bounce back so fast, it's literally supernatural. It is supernatural, okay? And and we're gonna end with this idea that um, the reason we bounce back so fast and the reason our self-concept is such that we never ever see ourselves as helpless victims of unfortunate circumstances or failures. Is, and this is a bracha we make every Pesach at the end of Magid, at the end of Magid, telling the whole story of our servitude, our slavery, and then Hashem's redemption. We say, "Al va'al." What are the next two words? Pudut nafshena." Those two words. nafshena." What is "pidyon"? What is "pidut nafshena"? Our nefesh, our basic, our basic identity as a people, as an individual, as a nation. Our, our, our simple human identity has been transferred, it's been transferred, it has been exchanged. We will never see ourselves again after you see us Rheim, as a people with no mission, no story, no strength to, to teach the world anything. No, never again. We, our identity has been transformed. It will never go back. So no matter what happens to us, we know we have a story to tell. We know that a Baruch will only Operate through Am Yisrael to bring the great lessons to the world. We say that every day in Shuanester, Omaivi Goel, Shamo Baava. And we we just learned this. Why Laman Shamo Ba'ava? Why is Hashem going to bring a G'ulah to, to Am Yisrael? Which one for his own sake, so that he could show the world how you know, teach the world all these great lessons? That's why he's gonna bring a ga'ula to Am Yisrael? to use us as kind of like the props, or B'yahava, instead of great love for Amishol. And Vesalevi says, the greatest chesed of all the chesedim is this, that Hashem made a promise because of everything we've gone through, that he will only bring the ge'ula minna, will only teach the world the great truths through the great ge'ula of Amishol. It will be through the Jewish story and the great turnaround that the world will finally come to see all the truths that we have always held on to only through Amishol and through some drama that will take place with Amishol, like the Perm story, only through Amishol. And for all the suffering that we've endured, we endured, that has held Amishol through all the, all the millennia, that there's a story being told through us. We don't get to decide the story, design the story. That's, we get a chela in the story, right? Our chela, the stuff you don't get to choose. And yet that story will be told through us. So this Tisha B'Av, avelus Aval, you're allowed to be sad for all the suffering collectively and individually, but, it, and it's cathartic and it's important and it's good to cry and you're supposed to, and you can learn you, and then we come out of it. And we say, okay, now what's our next, what's the next step? Where do we go from here? Okay. I wish everybody a meaningful fast. It's a beautiful Shabbos, a meaningful fast. And um, and uh, we should all experience Yeshua's and the Hamas. Be'er okay. okay, I'm going to end the recording, but I'm not going to end the meeting, okay? Can you, can you learn about Shabbos? Yeah.